0: An attempted terror attack in New York City. Roy Moore is on the ballot tomorrow. And President Trump is now in the crosshairs of Democrats focused on sexual harassment. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. I hope you had a wonderful and relaxing weekend. We certainly did in the Shapiro household. But now we're back and there's a lot of news as always. So it turns out that the Senate Republicans can't write a tax bill. There are certain rates in the tax bill that are above 100%. No, I am not kidding. And there was an attempted suicide bombing in New York. Plus, a bunch of the old Donald Trump accusers are back and better than ever. We'll talk about all of these things. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Texture. So, in the era of digital journalism, in the era of attention spans that last approximately 0.773 seconds, somewhere in that neighborhood, What you actually want is in-depth journalism a lot of the time. And the only folks doing that, unfortunately, are some of the folks in the magazine business. Well, that's what Texture is for. The Texture app gives you unlimited access to 200 premium magazines. It has titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and Wired. If you're watching The New Yorker coverage of all of the sexual harassment, sexual assault allegations out of Hollywood, it was The New Yorker doing all of the heavy lifting. The Atlantic has a lot of very in-depth articles about foreign policy that are really fascinating. And instead of you having to pay for a separate subscription for each one of these magazines, instead, the Texture app allows you unlimited access to 200 of them to help inform, entertain, inspire you this winter. And right now, you can try Texture for free. All you have to do is go to texture.com Ben, and you can start your free trial there. If you choose to continue, then my podcast listeners will actually get Texture for just $9.99 a month, which is 30% off their listed price. So you get it less expensive than it would normally be. Texture.com Ben, if you're addicted to information, you're stuck in the car you don't know what to do well if you have your texture app never you don't ever have to be bored again plus you can learn all the time texture.com ben that's texture.com ben use that free trial and then keep using and they'll, they'll give you the 9.99 a month deal which is again 30 percent off their normal price texture.com ben we use it in our house i use it my wife uses it it's a fantastic product okay so we we'll begin today with this attempted terror attack in new york city so here is the latest There's a guy who basically was intending, apparently, on carrying a pipe bomb onto a bus. Instead, his crudely put-together pipe bomb burst in his pants. So that's about as well as these things can end. Uh, Hopefully, he lost his ability to copulate. You know, that would be the best that I hope would happen to him. Um, But he did. He lost it. Oh, that's good. So he he has removed himself from Darwin's pool. So that is excellent. Um, According to CBS New York, a suspect carrying a crudely assembled improvised bomb is now in custody following a blast in the underground walkway between Times Square and the Port Authority bus terminal on Monday morning. The blast happened around 7.20 a.m. during morning rush hour. Three other people suffered minor injuries that are not considered life-threatening. The other three transported themselves to area hospitals, so that means they're not too badly off if they can transport themselves. They had symptoms like ringing ears. The suspect has now been identified as Akayad Ula, 27, who was wearing an improvised explosive device, according to Police Commissioner James O'Neill. I'm shocked. I thought for sure it was going to be Bob Smith, Mormon out of Utah. But it turns out it was Akayad Ula from Bangladesh. He'd been living in Brooklyn since 2011. He had a visa. He came in with his parents and three to four siblings, so yay chain migration, and subsequently obtained a green card and became a permanent U.S. resident. So making sure that all of President Trump's points about the freedom of our immigration system are proved in one story. That this fellow decided to join up with ISIS, apparently. Uh, he made statements that he was inspired by ISIS. Uh, the pictures do not look good for this guy. Uh, he's a, a youngster, 27, and again, he has uh, lost his, um, his manhood, so that's exciting. Now, he was rushed to Bellevue Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. He suffered burns to his hands and abdomen. Um, the device was affixed to his body with Velcro and zip ties, according to O'Neill. It had wires protruding from it. The poor construction caused a flash of the explosive component, but there were no serious shrapnel injuries consistent with a traditional pipe bomb. So this guy was going to be a suicide bomber, the first suicide bomber in the United States really since 9-11. Federal law enforcement officials said the device malfunctioned. It did not fully detonate. There was a second device found on him. According to Representative Peter King, he may have been inspired by ISIS. He could have been inspired by al-Qaeda, that he was at the very least inspired by Islamist Islamist terrorism. It could turn out this is part of a larger plot. We don't know at this point what the the full story is. They had to shut down the Times Square entrance to the subway because of the terror attack, but uh, they will be reopening it, uh, I believe, momentarily. So, Uh, That one ends about as well as that one can end. President Trump has not tweeted about it yet. I'm certain that it will be all about immigration, uh, which makes perfect sense because, again, this guy came in from Bangladesh with his family, and then he was allowed to get a green card. We don't know why his parents were allowed in the country, what connections they had, if any, what their story is, but clearly our vetting system is somewhat flawed. Okay, well, all of that is happening. President Trump is going at it with the media, and rightly so. So last week, we talked about this crazy story out of CNN where CNN reported that there had been an email that was sent to the Trump campaign, September 4th, I believe it was, and the email supposedly contained a, an encrypted key to WikiLeaks documents, which would've been a shocking story, right? It would've looked like actual collusion, like the WikiLeaks people were working with the Trump campaign, showing them documents that they had stolen from the DNC, and then turned them over to the Trump campaign for use in the campaign. Shocking story, except it turns out, number one, it's not clear that this is a real email. Number two, it's not clear anyone from the Trump administration know about it. And number three, and most importantly, the date of the email was not September 4th. It was September 14th. The emails were actually released between those two dates. So now it was an encrypted key sent to emails that had already been released publicly. So the media ran with this. It was the head of CNN. It was on top of all the media outlets. It was, it was, it was all over the place. And then there was a, a story over the weekend where Dave Weigel, who is a reporter over at the Washington Post, he put out a, he put out a tweet That was a picture of Trump's rally in Tuscaloosa, Florida, uh, and it was a picture of basically an empty setting. And he was suggesting that no one showed up for Trump. Turns out that was false. The entire stadium was full. And so Trump began tweeting about it. Here is what President Trump tweeted about the media. He tweeted, very little discussion of all of the purposefully false and defamatory stories put out this week by the fake news media. They're out of control. Correct reporting means nothing to them. Major lies written then forced to be withdrawn after they exposed. A stain on America. You want to know why nobody believes the media? Because the media do a job like this. And I'm trying to remember who made this point, but it's a good point. It wasn't me, Uh, but the point is a good one. And that is that all of the errors are in one direction. There's never an error in journalism that actually has an impact on Democrats, right? The errors in journalism always hurt the Republicans. And so you have to think that this has something to do with the bias in the media, right? Weigel, who is, from what I can tell, a nice guy. I've dealt with him a little bit, but he's certainly of the left. I mean, he was part of the so-called journalist on which... Uh, Several years ago, this would have been like 2012, 2011, uh, in which Weigel was part of this list of journalists who were kind of talking about stories, all of them from a left-wing perspective. Trump, at his rally, talked about the fake news, and he said that they are not spending any time talking about the economy, which is also true. He said, things are going really well for our economy, tweeted this out. The subject, the fake news, spends as little time as possible discussing. Stock market hit another record high. Unemployment is now at a 17-year low. Companies are coming back into the USA. Really good news and much more to come. All of this is true, right? Unemployment is at a 17-year low, the stock market is at another record high, and a lot of that is due to the feeling, not that President Trump is necessarily getting huge things done, but that President Trump is not going to threaten the economy. One of the reasons money sits on the sidelines is uncertainty. Anyone in economics will tell you, uncertainty is not good for the economy. Trump does not actually create economic uncertainty, because again, if Trump is going to do anything, it's very likely to benefit business, not to harm business. The same was not true for President Obama. So Trump is right. The media have spent very little time talking about the economy. Now, to be fair to the media a little bit, President Trump doesn't spend a ton of time talking about the economy either, but it is also true that the media go out of their way to pick stories that are not good for President Trump. And Dave Weigel, by the way, came out and apologized for having sent all of this, uh, for, having, for having sent this tweet with the empty stadium after Trump came out and criticized him personally and suggested that he might be fired. I hear Weigel apologizing. Sure thing, I apologize. I deleted the photo after David Martosko told me I'd gotten it wrong was confused by the image of you walking in the bottom right-hand corner. It was a bad tweet on my personal account, not a story for the Washington Post. I deleted it after like 20 minutes. Very fair to call me out. Everything I say on Twitter is a joke, except what I say about uh, Swin24, which is, I think, uh, uh, another reporter. In any case, Weigel handles that like a man, and that's the way you should handle it when you make a mistake. So uh, good for Weigel. But the bottom line is that no matter how much the media now attempt to walk it back, the overwhelming feeling that the media are out to get Trump has a pretty significant effect on how people see politics. And that means that they are less likely to believe outlets that are not on their side. It means that they're, even if there are outlets on their side, they may believe that those outlets are quote unquote out to get politicians. If the politicians have been victimized by the media before. And this is not good. It's not good for the media. It's not good for politics. It's not good for the soul of the American people. Trump is not wrong again, to attack the media on a routine basis. The media have attacked Trump on a routine basis. However, Trump's attacks on the media are just polarizing politics even more. I wish that Trump would restrict his attacks on the media to things like the CNN thing. I think that when when Trump attacks the media fairly, I'm on his side. When he attacks it unfairly, I am not on his side. But the bottom line is this is the backdrop to the entire political conversation we're having. And the reason this is important is because now we are involved in in a knockdown, dragout race in Alabama. And how people are voting in Alabama is impacted largely by their view of the media. I would suggest that if you take two, if you ask a couple of poll questions, poll question number one, how many people think that Roy Moore is innocent? And poll question number two, how many people trust the media? I would suggest that exactly the same people who say they have no trust in the media think Roy Moore is innocent. Meaning that it's not really about Roy Moore being innocent, it's about distrust in the media, distrust of the narrative, the suggestion that Roy Moore is being unfairly targeted. And the problem is that any resistance to Moore by anyone is now going to be linked up by the same people who uh, attribute this to the media. They're going to say that anyone who who sides against Moore is now part of the media establishment, part of the media elite. So one of those people is Richard Shelby. Richard Shelby is the senior Republican in Alabama uh, in the Senate. And he says that he did not vote for Roy Moore. He already voted. He He voted right in. Well, you're going to wake up on Wednesday and one of these two men, Roy Moore or Doug Jones, is going to be your fellow senator from Alabama which one would you rather deal with on a professional level well i don't have to answer that question today i i had rather see another republican in there and i'm going to stay with that story i'm not going to vote for the democrat i didn't vote for the democrat or advocate for the democrat but i couldn't vote for roy moore the state of alabama deserves better uh i think we we've got a lot of great republicans that could have won and Cared the state beautifully, and served in the Senate honorably. And I think that there's a lot of truth to what Richard Shelby is saying here. The problem is, once again, people have bought into the narrative fight, and once they bought into the narrative fight, they're not going to snap out of it. So there are two polls out today on Alabama. Poll number one from Fox News says that Doug Jones is up 10 points in Alabama. Poll number two, I believe it's a Marist poll, suggests that Doug Jones is down 9 points in Alabama. It's very difficult for the pollsters to actually gauge what exactly the election tomorrow is going to look like. It could really go either way. The reason for that is you can't model turnout in a a special election. Number two, this issue has really polarized the electorate, and it's not clear who exactly is going to show up to vote. And number three, the media attention on the race means that different people may show up to vote. So the pollsters are having a very difficult time figuring out exactly how this race is going to go bottom line is it could go either way at this point. It's not clear that Jones is going to win. It's not clear that Moore is going to lose. All of that said, it would not surprise me in the slightest if Moore were to win, especially given, again, that polarization that I'm talking about. The media, Every attack by the media on Roy Moore is seen by Roy Moore supporters as a media attack, not as an element of truth. And that's exacerbated by the fact that Barack Obama now cut a robocall ad in favor of Doug Jones in Alabama. That is not smart, Barack Obama should have stayed out This is in a state that is two-thirds Republican. Attacking Roy Moore by Barack Obama is not going to be helpful. It may drive up Democrats. It may drive out Democrats a little bit, but it's going to drive out Republicans far more, you would think. President Trump is also issuing robocalls in the Moore race, so he's getting very active in the Moore race. I think there's another reason why, by the way, that is happening. I think there's another reason why Trump is pushing more in this race, and I'll tell you why in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Zeal. So. There's very few things in life where you can really feel wealthy without having to be wealthy. Zeal is one of those things. So Zeal is a mobile massage, one-stop shop, basically. So Zeal is an app. You book a five-star top-quality massage at a time that works for you in your home. So you had a rough day. Uh, you, you hurt yourself working out. You hurt yourself at work. You come home, and the Zeal app allows you to order a masseuse basically on demand. And these are all licensed masseuses. They have over 9,000 of them nationally you go to zeal.com or on zeal's iphone or android app it's zeel.com you select from top local licensed pre-screen massage therapist and choose your favorite technique gender preference time and location for your massage they'll send again one of those nine thousand licensed masseuses with a massage table music everything you need to turn your living room into a spot give you a five-star massage we've used it in our family i've used zeal my wife has used zeal both my parents have used zeal my in-laws have used zeal it's a very popular thing in our family makes for a great holiday gift too like you want to make somebody's christmas then just give them a gift card uh, or order a massage for them. It really does make a terrific gift. To help you get started, our listeners right now can get $25 off their first massage by using the promo code BEN at checkout. Again, that's $25 off your first massage when you use promo code BEN at checkout. It gets better as well. Sign up for Zeal's Massage Membership. You get 20% off all your massages, plus a free massage table and sheet set, a $380 value, yours free. There's no initiation fee to join the membership, just this terrific additional savings on top of that $25 discount you're already going to get when you use my promo code Ben. Go to zeal, zeel.com or on Zeal's iPhone or Android app. Make sure to click add promo code at checkout to use my code Ben. Get $25 off your first in-home on-demand massage. Again, Zeal is, it's just fantastic. Uh, it'll definitely help you get in good with the in-laws and the relatives uh, if you are, if you are seeking to do that. Zeal, zee and use that promo code Ben. Okay. So, President Trump is now pushing Roy Moore in the robocall. Now, I think this has to do with more than just the Alabama race. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes here. But first, I think that it's clear. uh, First, let's play Trump's robocall for Moore. So here's his robocall for Moore that's now playing in Alabama. This is President Donald Trump, and I need Alabama to go vote for Roy Moore. It is so important. We're already making America great again. I'm going to make America safer and stronger and better than ever before. But we need that seat. We need Roy voting for us. Okay, so Trump is, of course, making it about the extra vote. And it's true. This seat is important for Republicans. But there's something else that's going on more than this, okay? And I'll tell you what that is in just a second. But first, Roy Moore, see, he's now changing his story again. Now he says he never molested anyone. He had said always that he never molested anyone, but he had said that he never knew any of the... He had said that he knew some of the women, then he said he didn't know any of the women. So now he's saying he never molested anyone, and he didn't know any of the accusers. So he, this, if this had been his original story, it would have been a lot better. One of the things that lit him on fire was his interview with Sean Hannity, where he said he generally didn't date women who were underage, and he always asked their parents first. That sort of said to a lot of folks well he's guilty of something well now more is is changing his story and he's saying he's completely innocent you have said that you did not know them or had no encounter with them that's my understanding i do not know them i had no encounter with them i never molested anyone and for them to say that i don't know why they're saying it but it's not true okay and that's going to be his line right his line is going to be that none of it's true he did not hit her he did not i did not Oh hi, Mark. That's, it. That's it. <laughs> sorry. You'll you'll understand that reference when we get to things I like a little bit later in the show. But but it's just this is his new line, and he's going to play it for all that it is worth. Now, why is Trump so focused on this? The reason that Trump is focused on this is because the entire media has blown this up now, not into just is this race an endorsement of Trump? That's what they would have done normally. If you were just a normal Republican candidate, they would have turned this race into a Democrat is challenging in Alabama. That means that Trump is unpopular. And they did that in Virginia when Ed Gillespie lost his gubernatorial race over there. And when there was a big sweep in Virginia, they turned it into this was a referendum on Trump. But there's something else going on here. Everyone knows that this is the first step in the move against Trump himself on charges like those used against Roy Moore, on sexual assault, sexual harassment charges. It's the reason why Al Franken was thrown under the bus last week. The reason Al Franken had to go under the bus, the reason that Al Franken had to be thrown out of the Senate, and he's still sitting there, by the way, uh, is because the entire Democratic Party now wants to wheel and hit Trump. This is perfectly obvious. Even Roy Moore's strategy, people are saying this. They're trying to drive the vote out, so they're saying that you have to vote for Moore in order to vote for Trump. That's their line. Dean Young is the chief political strategist for the Moore campaign. Here's what he had to say. You see, this is President Trump's agenda, and that's why it's so important that that uh, Judge Moore win this race. Last night, we had Doug Jones, the liberal Democrat, with one of his Senate buddies, uh, Cory Booker, who said that that the president should resign. Donald Trump on trial in Alabama. If the people of Alabama vote for this liberal Democrat, Doug Jones, then they're voting against the president who they put in office at the highest level. So it's very important for Donald Trump, and again, it's ground zero for President Donald Trump. If they can beat him, they can beat his agenda, because Judge Moore stands with Donald Trump and his agenda. And you can see this is the direction, he's right, this is the direction Democrats are moving. Chuck Todd, right over on, M- on NBC and MSNBC, he says that after Al Franken resigns, we have a new standard now. Funny how the new standard didn't apply when Bill Clinton was in office. Funny how the new standard didn't apply when Teddy Kennedy was the line of the Senate. Funny how the new standard didn't apply while Hillary Clinton was running. But boom, Hillary Clinton's done, and now we're back to a new standard. It's a brand new standard. It's just amazing how that works, right? The new standard is if you sexually assault or sexually harass people, you should resign. I'm old enough to remember when that was the Republican line. But now, this is the Democrat line, so here's Chuck Todd basically saying, we sacrificed Al Franken on the altar of sexual goodness. And now there must be others who sacrifice themselves. You can see which direction this is going. Here's Chuck Dodd. Back now with Endgame, I want to talk, Peggy, about the Franken-standard, because we now have a new standard for resignation, you could argue, uh, when it comes to Al Franken. Ruth Marcus, uh, a familiar face to many here of the Washington Post, wrote this, there's no doubt in the case of Al Franken, the Democrats are better off with the Minnesota Senator gone. There's more doubt about whether justice was done. I agree, none of it is acceptable. What gives me pause is both the rush to judgment and the one-size-fits-all nature of the punishments. Fair enough, but we had, you know, this is a country trying to establish. It's certainly a U.S. Senate trying to establish new standards for acceptable behavior. And again, funny how the new standards only apply as soon as Trump enters office. Here's Bernie Sanders two weeks ago, wouldn't get rid of Al Franken. Now, who should, who should leave? It's Trump, of course. He wasn't. Well, I don't know that you know what was in Al Franken's mind. But the point is, the point is that we have the absurdity now of a president of the United States who basically says on a tape... That everybody in this country has seen his pride, in a sense, in assaulting women, and he has not apologized for that, and he has, you know, not offered his resignation. The no, US what Congress. I just said, what I no, just not, oh, Chuck, uh, Chuck, yeah. what I just said is Al Franken felt it, it, it proper for him to resign. Here you have a president who has been accused by many women of assault, who says on a tape that he assaulted women, he might want to think about doing the same. And you can see that this is the direction that all the Democrats are moving now. Now, to be fair to President Trump, the, the P-word tape uh, is not its not supremely clear on the idea that Trump himself admitted to grabbing women by the bleep, right? He talks about how he moved very heavily on one married woman, uh, he's talked, he talked about how he likes to kiss women, he just can't stop himself from kissing women. but. When he gets to the part where he says you can grab them by the bleep, when you're famous, they'll let you do anything. That's not actually an admission of guilt. That's him saying, I could do that, right? But it doesn't really matter because in the end, there were a bunch of accusers who came out and accused him of doing exactly that. I said this when this actually happened last year. I said, as soon as Trump says he's never done this, there will be a bevy of women who come forward to say that he has done this. And this puts Republicans in a tough spot, right? Because all the Republicans who are trying to say that Al Franken should leave are now being cudgeled into the what do we do about Trump corner. You can see this already starting to turn last week. I talked about this with Newt Gingrich and Laura Ingram, both of whom were saying maybe Al Franken should stay. That wasn't because they think Al Franken should stay. It's because they think Trump should stay, right? So this is all broken down into perfectly partisan lines. As soon as a Democrat is, is powerful enough that Democrats have to keep him around, then they will drop the, the standard and, and it'll be very clear where their hypocrisy lies. But meanwhile, Republicans are stuck. Uh, in, this, in this difficult position. Nikki Haley, who's the UN ambassador to the Trump administration, uh, she specifically says that, uh, that all of these women who accuse President Trump should be heard. So now Republicans are, are boxed in a little bit. Given that consciousness, how do you think people should assess the accusers of the president? Well, I mean, you know, the same thing is women who accuse anyone should be heard. They should be heard and they should be dealt with. And I think we heard from them prior to the election. And I think any woman who has felt violated or felt mistreated in any way, they have every right to speak up. And does the election mean that's a settled issue? I, you know, that's for the people to decide. I know that he was elected, but, you know, women should always feel comfortable coming forward and we should all be willing to listen to them. Okay. Well, that obviously doesn't answer the question, and this is the, the typical take that you've heard about Roy Moore. Once you apply any standard to Roy Moore, do you also have to apply it to Donald Trump? That's going to be the question. Here's the reality. Trump ain't going anywhere, right? Trump's not going to resign because Trump denies all of this stuff. And also because even if Trump did this stuff, he's not somebody who's really governed by by shame. That's not something that the president of the United States has an ample supply, is a capacity for guilt or shame to his benefit politically and to his detriment morally in many cases. Um, but it, the, one of the things that, that I think that One of the reasons the Moore thing has become a microcosm is because everybody knows what the next step is, and the next step was always coming, and that was the Democrats deciding to use the club of Roy Moore and turn it against Trump. Again, it's why they made the blood sacrifice of Al Franken and John Conyers, not because they actually care about the women. Now I'm going to talk about what the media are doing to advance this entire narrative in just a second, but first I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at USCCA. So we hear lots of stories in the news about somebody breaks into a house and a good guy uses a gun to protect his family, but then he's the one arrested. Well, thanks to our court system, this actually happens a fair bit. And that's exactly what could happen to you if you're not fully prepared. That's Here's how you can take a simple rewarding journey to complete firearms and family defense confidence. It's the complete firearms and family defense guide from our friends over at the USCCA. It's 100% free. You will learn how to detect attackers before they see you, how to survive a mass shooting, the safest, most dangerous places to sit in a restaurant, how to responsibly own and store a gun, even if you have little kids. I have two little kids. It is... Particularly important to, to responsibly own and store a gun. A lot more. It's 164 pages. It comes with a complete audiobook. You can listen in your car as well as soon as the podcast is off. All you have to do is tune over and listen to their complete firearms and family defense guide from the USDCA. It is 100% free again. For a limited time, you'll also get a bonus gun buying checklist. Visit defendmyfamilynow2.com. defendmyfamilynow2, the digit 2, .com, right now for 100% free instant access defendmyfamilynow2.com. Don't forget the digit 2 at the end. Again, that's defendmyfamilynow2.com. You get free instant access to that 164-page guide that will teach you all you need to know about detecting attackers and surviving mass shootings and, uh, and how to responsibly own and store a gun and all the rest of these vital pieces of information. Our friends over at USCC are making gun ownership safer and more worthwhile. Okay, so the media, we, we get back to the media here because the media are now forwarding this narrative. So you can see, you know, Trump, attacks the media because the media attack him. People respond to the media's attacks by, legitima- by legitimizing Roy Moore. Trump legitimizes Roy Moore because of the media attacks. The media take the Roy Moore attack and, sh- and shift it to Trump, which in a certain perverse way actually justifies Trump's distrust of the media in the first place. That's, that's the cycle of life here. Right? The media unfairly attack Trump. Trump attacks the media. People perceive the media as being unfair. The media report in my opinion, correctly, on a bad Republican. Republicans rally to that bad Republican side because they don't trust the media. The media then make a second move by extending the Roy Moore stuff out to President Trump in what I think is a politically driven way. And then the Republicans disown that. And so the spiral continues ever downward. You can see this today. Megyn Kelly had three of Donald Trump's accusers on the Today Show today, on Megyn Kelly Today. She brought on Samantha Holvey, Jessica Leeds, and Rachel Crook's. All of them say that at some point they were on the receiving end of behavior from Trump, ranging from forcible kissing to groping. These, all, all these women showed up uh, in the middle of the campaign. If you recall, uh, we begin with a flashback to Jessica Leeds. Here is Jessica Leeds, one of the accusers. She suggested that Trump groped her without permission. This is back in 2016. I was sitting with him on an airplane. And he went after me on the plane. Yeah, I'm going to go after him. Believe me she would not be my first choice that i can tell <laughs> i i find that just ludicrous because he didn't pick me i was there i was available and he was bored that's that's all it was that's all it was the other women who are beautiful and 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 beauty pageant types, and most of them have long blonde hair, which is something he seems to like. He picked them, but I was just there. Okay, so she is one of the accusers. The set, that was one of the accusers Kelly had on today. Second accuser is a woman named Samantha Holvey. She says that Trump used to like, walk through the Miss USA pageant and then inspect the contestants. As I understand, there uh, you have an experience of something that happened the night before the pageant? Well, not the night before the pageant, but um, when we were in New York City on the media tour, they were doing a book launch at Trump Towers for the Universal Beauty um, book. And they had a bunch of former Miss USAs and Miss Universes and all 51 of us. And we did the red carpet. And that was tons of fun. And then they lined us all up, and Trump went down the line. And he shook your hand and, um, you know, looked you over, looked you up and down, head to toe. Um, I was just checking everybody out. And you thought, you felt? I felt uh, very dirty. Um, it was very creepy. It's kind of like when you're at a bar and a creepy guy is checking you out. That's, that was the experience for me. Okay, so number one, that is not actually sexual assault. Okay, And if it's sexual harassment, you are in the Miss USA contest, like where people gaze upon you in your bathing suit. Like, Donald Trump runs it. Was, was was anybody under the impression that this was a class contest? Uh, like, really. But it's this is one of the things the media are doing. They've lumped together everything from Harvey Weinstein all the way down to Samantha Holvey. They did that in order to get rid of Donald Trump. One of the reasons they started taking the Weinstein stuff seriously is because this was always going to wheel on President Trump. Now, should President Trump have borne some responsibility for the stuff that he did during the campaign? I think the answer is yes, but that should have happened during the primaries. Meaning, once it got to the general election, then people had other concerns. There are a lot of people saying, well, everybody ignored, like one of these accusers, uh, I think it was Leeds today, was saying that people ignored the accusations about Trump in order to vote for him. I think a lot of people did do that, but I think it's unfair to suggest, just the same way it's unfair to suggest everyone who's voting for more is doing so in celebration of the allegations. I don't think it's fair to say that everyone who voted for Trump was doing so in celebration of these allegations. They were doing so because they didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. A lot of the people who vote for more are going to do so because they don't want Roy Jones in there, uh, or Doug Jones in there, rather. But... The bottom line is that the media always had a, an agenda here. Now, listen, should President Trump step down? Should President Trump step down because of the sexual assault, sexual harassment allegations? Sure, why not? I mean, like, honestly, all these people should. Like, I'm going to say something controversial now, okay? My controversial thing is that everyone who is involved in grabbing women by the bleep or forcibly kissing women like Al Franken or raping women like allegedly Bill Clinton, all these people should not be in politics. It was our job to be the gatekeepers. We didn't do it. But... If we lived in an honorable politics, would we do it? Sure, we would do it. Is it going to happen? No, of course it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So all this really amounts to, in the end, is the media bringing back up an old topic in an attempt to shame Republicans for the upcoming election. That was always gonna happen anyway, by the way, because the bottom line is that Republicans were always going to have to embrace the consequences of a man in high office who is alleged to have done all of these things. And the allegations, the the list is very long, but that's not to suggest that the media bias isn't very real. The media bias certainly is real, Again, I wish everyone in politics were good, and I wish that voters held everyone to a standard, but obviously we don't. Okay, so as we continue, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Jerusalem. So what's been amazing, actually, is that the lack of terror surrounding Trump's announcement that Jerusalem was now going to be recognized as the official capital of Israel, it's actually pretty amazing. It's pretty incredible that that so few... Uh, so few acts of terror have been committed in Israel. It seems like everybody is sort of distracted to tell the truth. There have been a few rallies here and there. Uh, there have been some, some, uh, a little bit of violence here and there. But what's really fascinating is the violence has not been against Israelis. The violence has been against Jews. And this is the way that it works. Because all of the people who pretend that anti-Israel sentiment, anti-Zionism is really just about you dislike what the state of Israel is doing, In the end, it almost universally ends up being you don't like Jews very much. And the way you can tell this is, for example, what happened in Malmö, Sweden. So Malmö in Sweden has become a city that's largely been populated by Muslims from the Middle East in disproportionate fashion. Uh, And a lot of those people uh, are anti-Semites. And so here is a rally in Malmö where hundreds of people were literally chanting, kill the Jews. It says, arm me, make me of service. Says down with the house of Saud, strike them with knives. Strike, strike, do not be afraid. Says we die, Palestine lives. These charmers are in the West, by the way. Right. These charmers are in the middle of Sweden, and they started chanting in the middle of this thing about how Jews should be killed, right? We want to we go shoot Jews, so just really nice. There was a Molotov cocktail that was thrown into a Swedish synagogue over the weekend, because obviously every synagogue is Israel, because everybody identifies Jews with Israel, and more importantly, they identify Israel with Jews, which is the reason they hate Israel in the first, part, in the first place. According to New York Daily News, three people were arrested after a synagogue in Sweden was attacked with Molotov cocktails on Saturday night. About two dozen people were attending a youth party inside the synagogue, in Gothenburg, when suspects threw burning bottles against the building, police told Goat Borg's The kids inside took refuge in the basement, according to a mother who spoke to Expressen. Her daughter was in the building and texted her during the incident. Mom, I'm getting scared, she wrote. Well, authorities arrived at the scene around 10 p.m., put out a fire in the parking lot. The building didn't catch on fire. No one was injured. But again, another, uh, another attack on a synagogue, having nothing to do with Israel, but you know, Jews are the targets. In the middle of Times Square, anti-Semitic chants, calls for a new synagogue in Times Square, in the middle of New York over all of this. And yet all these folks say that this has nothing to do with anti-Semitism, like nothing at all. happening right in the middle of Times Square. But don't worry, folks. It has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. Clearly, the only reason that the Muslim world is upset is because of Trump in Jerusalem. They weren't upset before that. You know, everything was hunky-dory before that. You know, all the Palestinian knife attacks in the middle of Jerusalem, and ramming vehicles into, into toddlers and strollers in the middle of the Jerusalem train station, and the shootings of people in the middle of the street in Jerusalem. Like, all that was happening before Trump said any of this, but really, it was all Trump's fault. You see, what happened is that Trump, all the the Palestinians and their allies, they they went back in time and they knew already that Trump was going to say this. And so they went back like to 1929 and started slaughtering Jews in Hebron because they felt like Trump was eventually going to say something about Jerusalem. That's clearly what's going on here. It does give the lie to the ridiculous, stupid, asinine idea that the movement against Jews in Israel is not a movement against Jews. It's just a movement against Israel. And the real reason they're upset is because of Trump. They're not upset about Trump. Trump, honestly, they're less upset about Trump than I've seen them about anything in a while because they're, they're distracted with Iran, at least a lot of the, the Sunni Muslims who normally would be up in arms about this sort of thing. This is the right move by President Trump. It was a good move by President Trump. Um, and again, anti-Semitism is going to exist across the world and target Israel because there are a lot of Jews there. People hate Israel because, because they hate the Jews. They don't hate the Jews because they hate Israel. They've hated the Jews for thousands of years before the modern state of Israel. It's just it, one of the dumber arguments I've heard in the recent past is that if Israel were just kinder, if Israel had divided Jerusalem, then all of this would have gone away. Jerusalem was divided from 1948 to 1967. That did not stop terror. It did not stop the, the Arab armies from attempting war in 1956 as well as 1967. Uh, and so all of this is sheer nonsense of the highest order. Okay. In other crazy news, it turns out that the, the Senate Republicans are bad at pretty much everything. Uh, According to Richard Rubin, some high-income business owners could face marginal tax rates exceeding 100% under the Senate tax bill. Really? 100% under the Senate tax bill, far beyond the listed rates in the Republican plan. That means a business owner's next 100% in earnings under certain circumstances would require paying more than $100 in additional federal and state taxes. As lawmakers rush to write the final tax bill over the next week they're already looking at changes to prevent this from happening so they just they rush this thing through and it actually includes the idea that if you were a married self-employed new jersey lawyer with three kids and earnings of about 615 grand then you would actually pay 105 dollars in taxes for every 100 more in business income so well done drawing this bill guys you did a spectacular job as typical republicans just doing yeoman's work on behalf of their own ideas okay Well, we're going to talk a little bit about things I like and things I hate in Federalist Papers. But before that, we're going to have to break from Facebook and YouTube. For that, you're going to have to subscribe at Daily Wire. $9.99 a month gets you a subscription to dailywire.com. And with that subscription comes the rest of my show live on video. Comes Andrew Clavin's show live on video. Comes Michael Knowles' show live on video. All of those shows come to you live on video, which is awesome. Plus, you also get to be part of our mailbag. So tomorrow, right? Tomorrow is the conversation. Uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, you will be join the conversation. If you subscribe, you can ask a question to me directly, and I will go through your questions one by one. I will either answer them or mock them. You just don't know. That's where the surprise comes in. You get to be part of the conversation when you become a subscriber. We're going to broadcast it live on YouTube. We're going to broadcast it live on Facebook. And... You'll get to watch for free, but only subscribers can ask questions and have all of their life's problems answered by me. So dailywire.com, head over to the conversation page to watch the live stream and just start typing into the Daily Wire chat box, and it'll answer questions as they come in for an entire hour. That's a good reason to subscribe. Check that out. If you want the annual subscription, then go over to dailywire.com, pick it up for 99 bucks a year. When you do, you also get this: the very finest in all beverage vessels, the leftist tiers, hot or cold tumbler. You can enjoy it at every meal. Uh, So make sure that you go over there and do that. And subscribe also if you just want to listen later, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, subscribe. Leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. (laughs) All righty, so I'm going to leave some time for some things I like and things I hate and the Federalist paper of the day. Every Monday we go through a Federalist paper. We are now up to Federalist number seven, so we'll get to that. Okay, so uh, we begin with things I like. So I will admit, I have not seen this entire movie yet uh mathis by my, my producer uh, has been highly recommending the room for uh for at least a week to me ever since i learned of this movie the disaster artist with james franklin i was like what is that about he said well there's this movie the room and it is a so bad it's good classic it's just an amazing film mathis owns a copy of it that he forgot at home you cannot stream this apparently you have to get it on dvd it. but but you got but you th- that's right mathis says you have to commit um and the and yeah but you can watch the best scenes of it On youtube and i will say this you know mathis says you have to watch the whole thing to get the humor of the room you don't actually have to watch the whole thing you just have to watch some of the scenes because they are incredible so i for you have brought together a couple of the scenes from the room it's a masterpiece of of bad cinema basically the story here is a guy named tommy wussow uh is the producer writer and director of this piece of hot garbage He's an Eastern European guy who no one knows where he came from. He won't say how old he is. Somehow he came up with $6 million. So I assume that he robbed a bank somewhere. Uh, And he came to the United States and decided to make what easily is the worst movie of all time. Um, It's true, But he meant it to be good. He didn't mean it to be parodic. I mean, he meant it to actually be a good movie. He stars in it. He's supposed to be an all-American guy. He sounds like a Transylvanian vampire. Apparently there was originally a scene where he would turn into a vampire in the film. Uh, that was cut, unfortunately. That would have made it even greater. It might have killed it because it might have it might have actually broken the realism of the of the terribleness. Um, but here, here are a few scenes from the room. You, again, this has been in the news because James Franco made a movie called The Disaster Artist about the making of this terrible, terrible film. This is America, man. You can make a garbage film, get rich off of it, and then a, so, and then a big star will make a film about your garbage film and the making of it. Incredible. Here are some actual scenes from the room. You'll see the charm of it in just a few seconds. Hi, can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's both. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. People are very strange these days. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. <laughs> You're lying! I nearly hit you. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Okay, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, what more is there to say about it? If you want to see something really funny, uh, watch the watch the compiled the compiled scenes, the compilation, and then go over to go over to the Honest Trailers version of the room because it's very very funny um but this thing has become now a cult classic and for good reason i did not that that was my reference earlier to uh i did not hit her i did not it's <laughs> oh hi mark amazing amazing i have to say my my single favorite thing there is um is the story about the woman who's beaten so badly she ends up in a hospital and tommy Musso laughs ha 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 what a story mark that's that that was his takeaway Incredible. Okay, so from the ridiculous to the sublime, uh, over the weekend I had the opportunity to read a a biography about Beethoven by a guy named John Suchet. Uh, He is the BBC commentator on Beethoven. Um, It's not kind of the most in-depth biography of Beethoven. It gives you the broad strokes of his life. Um, There's a, a little bit too much speculation for my taste, but the biography is very readable and it's a very quick read. So if you want sort of the background on who Beethoven was and all of his trouble... Uh, The the biggest problem that I have with people's kind of takes on Beethoven is they put a lot of focus on his love life and the Immortal Beloved Letter and all this kind of stuff. I think that has very little to do with his art. Um, Beethoven's art was all about his his level of skill, uh, his mastery of music, the uh, really seismic developments in music that he was responsible for. Uh, Over the rest of the week, I'm going to pick some Beethoven pieces that show you. Sort of the the mastery that that Beethoven had over his art, and we'll talk a little bit about what's unique about Beethoven this week. Because I I was, you know, this weekend I was thinking I haven't been enjoying things as much as I as much as I ought lately, and I think that's because I wasn't listening to enough music. Really, I was I was listening to too much uh, talk. I was listening to I was instead of spending time just listening to to uplifting music, uh, I was spending time on other things, and that was a mistake. And so I had some chances to listen to some great music over the weekend, and it really lifted my spirits, which I think is important. So this is a good place to start. You can pick up the book Beethoven the Man Revealed by John Suchet. Worth reading. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. All right, so we begin with this video that's now gone viral of a student, I guess he's in Tennessee, uh, who was bullied at school and he was talking on videos. Mom took a tape of him. Went viral. All these celebrities pledged their support. I want to talk a little bit about what's happening here. Why do they bully? What What's the point of it? Why do you find joy in taking innocent people and finding a way to be mean to them? It's not OK. What do they say to you? They call me. They make fun of my nose. They call me ugly. They say I have no friends. What'd they do to you at lunch? Put milk on me and put a hand down my clothes They're bread at me. Is it just you? Yep. Or is it other kids, too, that feel that way? Say it's other kids, too. How's that make you feel? I don't that they do it to me, and I for sure don't like that they do it to other people, because it's not okay. Okay, so there are a couple of things about this. So, number one, as someone who is viciously bullied in school, um, I can say that this, what this kid's experiencing is, uh, is not just real. Uh, it's like If you've actually been through this experience, you, you know what this feels like. You, you've been exactly where this kid is. I have to say, I don't like that the mom took the tape and put it online. I don't like that. Um, I think that this is a situation where the mom needs to march herself into the principal's office and take care of business, or she needs to walk over to the kids' houses and take care of business. Uh, this is something I intend on doing with my own kid if this ever becomes an issue. If my kid bullies, you know, I'm not big on spanking, like it's not a thing in my house, but if my kid became a bully, that would be a time for spanking, uh, it really would. Um, but you know, my, my father was, was the person who went in and took care of business when it came to bullying. I think I've told the stories on the show before. I don't like uh, embarrassing this kid. This kid forever is now going to be associated with being the kid who's crying over being bullied. And yes, that brings you some national sympathy. And yes, a lot of celebrities will come out of the woodwork to talk about how terrible bullying is, because it is. It is just awful. But I think that the only way that we're actually going to solve this problem is not on a national level with celebrities saying things. It's going to be on a parental level with parents going out and doing something about it. So I wish that mom had, had, instead of taking this tape, I wish that mom had marched herself over to the principal's office and threatened some consequences, or went over to the parents' houses and threatened some consequences, and made sure that this did not happen again. Uh, I wish that she had gotten this kid fighting lessons so the kid could kick the crap out of his bullies. Um, I think that that's a better short-term solution than, uh, and long-term solution, actually, than putting tapes like this up online. I just feel awful for this kid. I feel awful for him. And, if, and, and everybody's celebrating this, how great it's gonna be. You know what's gonna happen to this kid six months after, after all the celebrities are gone? Six months after all the celebrities are gone, all the celebrities have gone back to making their movies and they've gone back to being the beautiful people, this kid is going to get it twice as hard from the rest of the bullies in his class. That's how this works. It's, it's just, yuck. Okay, uh, other things that I hate. So um, there was a, a fellow named Daniel Shaver. Uh, he's a white guy who was, a, uh, who was apparently pointing a BB gun out of his window, and a bunch of hotel guests saw it, and they, and they called the cops. The cops show up, and they shoot him to death. Here's a little bit of the tape. Do not put your hands down for any reason. You think you're going to fall? You better fall on your face. Your hands go back in the small. Of your back are down. We are going to shoot you. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Crawl towards me. Crawl <laughs> towards me. Yes, sir. <coughs> Don't go. me! Okay, so they they, mur- they they killed this guy. I mean, it looks, it looks a lot like murder, right? You can see that his hand moves so, sort of toward his waistband, and this is the excuse that they're using, as they reach behind him. But this this video is like seven minutes long. They brought him out in the hallway. They shouted all sorts of contradictory commands. They, they told him to put his hands behind his head and then crawl toward them. And then the minute that he, like, puts it, they actually told him to put his hands kind of, I guess, behind his head and crawl toward them. Like, you can't actually do all these things. So you have one idiot supervisor who is yelling all these commands at this guy. The guy's name was, De- was Shavers, uh, Daniel Shaver. He was 26 years old. He'd been doing rum shots of the woman he'd met earlier in the day, showing off a pellet gun he used in his job in pest control. The graphic video was recorded by Brailsford's body camera, and it showed Shaver and the woman exiting the hotel room, immediately complying with commands from multiple officers. He puts his hands in the air. He lies down on the ground while informing the officer that no one else was in the hotel room. And one of the officers, a guy named Charles Langway, says, if you make a mistake, another mistake, there's a very severe possibility you're both going to get shot. He says, I'm not here to be tactical and diplomatic with you. You listen, you obey. And then he gives him, he gives him orders for five solid minutes. Five solid minutes. He's playing, he's playing, you know, put your right foot in, put your right foot out. He's playing the hokey pokey with him. He's playing Simon Says. He tells, an, he tells Shaver to put both his hands on top of his head. Then he instructs him to cross his left foot over his right foot. The guy's completely drunk. And then he says, if you move, we're going to consider that a threat. And then he says, crawl down the hallway. And he tells him to keep his legs crossed, push himself up into a kneeling position, And then his legs come uncrossed, prompting the officer to scream at him. And then he puts his hand near his waist, prompting another round of screaming. And he said, you do that again, we're going to shoot you. And he says, please don't shoot me. And then he crawls down the hallway. And at one point, because he's been lying face down, his shorts are falling down and he's drunk, he moves to pull up his shorts and then they shoot him to death. And the rifle that he was carrying, this cop, was etched with the phrase, you're effed. Just fantastic, guys. Just fantastic. Now, what, a couple things worth pointing out here. One, bad training matters. Number two, juries almost always give the benefit of the doubt to the cop. So a lot of the evidence that was presented talked about the sort of threat that had been reported by people in the next door room. They were afraid that if they walked over to the guy, there might be someone behind the door who was going to pop out and shoot them. So the, the officer was acquitted in this case. But number three, the level of national outrage over this case is not even. There have been no riots, there have been no protests, nothing. And the reason for that is because the guy who was shot is white. Let's be perfectly frank about this. It's because we are more concerned with racial conflagrations in this nation than we are really about police brutality. This is a pretty clear-cut case of police brutality and police misaction. And the level of outrage over it is not even close to the level of outrage over Michael Brown, who was justifiably shot by witness testimony and by the and by circumstantial evidence. So. Uh, it's it just, just a horrifying video right there, uh, and uh, it goes to show you that you know, cops in bad situations sometimes make bad choices. This looks like manslaughter to me, at the very least. Okay, we're going to go through Federalist 7 really fast. So, every week we go through a Federalist paper, we are making our way all the way through the Federalist papers. Federalist number 7. This is Alexander Hamilton again, and here he discusses possible sources of discord between the states. If we weren't to form a national government, and we were just to have a bunch of states with their own governments, why would that bring us to conflict? And it's actually very prescient because he talks about all of these reasons why states could get into a war. And all of them are reasons that the states eventually get into the civil war despite the presence of the U.S. Constitution. So he begins by talking about territorial disputes. He says, territorial disputes have at all times been found one of the most fertile sources of hostility among nations. Perhaps the greatest proportion of wars that have desolated the earth have sprung from this origin. This cause would exist among us in full force. We have a vast tract of unsettled territory within the boundaries of the United States. There are still discordant and undecided claims between several of them, and the dissolution of the Union would lay a foundation for similar claims between them all. In the wide field of Western territory, therefore, we perceive an ample theater for hostile pretensions without any umpire or common judge to interpose between the contending parties. In other words there's a whole Western area of the United States. None of it's settled. The state of South Carolina wants to claim it. The state of New York wants to claim it. They get into a war over it. This is actually what happened, right? This is what, it was called Bleeding Kansas. And there was a referendum, there was a piece of legislation that said that when the state of Kansas was admitted to the union, when Kansas territory was admitted to the union, the people of Kansas would be able to vote on whether it was a slave state or a free state. And so you had slave owners rushing to the state and then you had freeholders rushing to the state and going to war literally with each other. And there were massacres of Americans by Americans. It was basically a small civil war in Kansas called Bleeding Kansas. So Hamilton was not wrong about this, even in the presence of a federal government. Then he says there would be trade disputes between these various states. He says each state or separate Confederacy would pursue a system of commercial policy peculiar to itself. Uh, This was actually not healed by the federal government either. There was very nearly a civil war in the 1830s over the so-called Tariff of Abominations. That was when the, the North decided to put tariffs on goods coming in that were to be used by the South. And the South was very upset about this uh, and threatened nullification, right? This is the nullification crisis that Andrew Jackson swore to, to basically break the South over. So we very nearly came to blows over trade. This is public debt. He's talking about the public debt accrued by the war. It'd be very difficult to apportion that without a national government to actually collect. And finally, laws in violation of private contracts, the idea being you sign a contract with somebody from another state, and that other state then just nullifies the contract. This could cause severe conflict. This in fact did cause severe conflict because the Fugitive Slave Act was designed to, was designed to enforce property holdings in people, in human beings that were evil in the South. That was what the Fugitive Slave Act was designed to do. It helped exacerbate division. So the point that I'm making here is that Hamilton was right about the fact that if you don't have a a strong federal government or at least a federal government strong enough that we all have national allegiance to it, you end up getting in wars with each other. The federal government was not sufficient to prevent those wars from breaking out over exactly the reasons Hamilton saw them breaking out. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow with all of the latest fallout in politics and pop culture. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2017.